like Bernie said, I'm Wendy, and I um, have only been a part of BBC for about six months now. My husband and I moved here. We were living in Germany for three years with my daughter, who's four. And we were in the States on furlough and then ended up coming to New Zealand. And it's been wonderful. We really feel welcome here at the church, but also in New, in New Zealand in general. It's really been a gift for us. It's also nice that we speak English. It's been living in other countries and being able to come here. It's been a, just easier in terms of fitting in. So about a year ago, I was in the States, and I was with my mom, and we decided to go to visit some family friends I've known my whole life, and they had done some recent renovations in their home. And they bought an older home and been slowly doing things, but we wanted to see what they had been working on just in that, that year. And we looked around. It was really cool. We got to see the stuff that they finished, the things in process, and also envision with them what rooms would look like in the future. And after our little tour, I decided to use one of the new rooms, which was a toilet. And it was uh, brand new between the garage and the rest of the house. So I went in, and it had one of those pocket doors that slides out of the wall. Used the pocket door, did my business, washed my hands, went to open the door, and nothing happened. And there I was with this door that had no handle, because it's a pocket door, and trying to figure out, how do I, what, what do I, uh. And I realized that because of where the room was, no one could hear me. No one in the garage could hear me, and no one in the house could hear me. So I literally was just trapped. Even the little, there was a little lock, and it just spun around in circles, and I was just <laughs> stuck. And I'll come back to that story, but when I feel trapped, something happens in my body. My mind starts to race. My heart starts to beat faster and faster. I start to sweat. I just do not like being trapped. But today we're going to be talking about Romans chapter 6. And Romans is a letter written to the church in Rome by the Apostle Paul. It's written to a group of people, a church, that is made up of both non-Jewish believers and Jewish believers. And their differences caused quite a number of issues, some problems. It raises good questions for them, but also for us, about the law and the old covenant and what it means to follow Jesus and the new covenant. Paul, in Romans, he writes the fullest at length account of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have in Scripture. And he does it with the intent of bringing unity to the church in Rome. Because there were these two groups of people with, with such different backgrounds, with such different histories, and they had such issues, he really wanted them to be unified. So I'm just going to, because I'm starting in chapter 6, I want to quickly say what the first few chapters were about. Because they really are like the gospel story. So chapter 1 all humanity is trapped in sin and needs to be rescued. Chapter 2, rescue won't happen by trying to obey the laws of the Torah. So the laws that the Jewish people hold dearly onto, their, their beloved law, that won't rescue them. Chapter 3, God's righteousness 
has rescued the world through Jesus in his death and resurrection. And he does that, we see in chapter 4, so to create the faith-based, multi-ethnic family of Abraham, which is based on faith. This new covenant people, not just Jews, non-Jews, but all together. In chapter 5, it's more of the legal side of things. So justification by faith creates a new humanity. The way God looks at people is changed because of Christ. He sees them now without sin. And in chapter 6, which is where we are, baptism is the symbol of death and the resurrection and showing a spiritual union with Christ. So we are going to talk about baptism. So this whole chapter kind of revolves around sin and actually leading up to this chapter as well. But we all kind of have some different things that we deal with when we are talk about sin. And when I talk about sin, it's not just the personal mistakes that we make, but it's also like the system of all humanity being trapped in sin as well. So some people like sin, what's the big deal? I don't, I don't get it. Like, who cares? For others, it's, you know, this is just who I am. It's my personality. And you may call it sin, but I do not. It's just part of who I am. For others, it's I have grace. And that's all I need to worry about. For others, it's an identity thing. It's I'm a sinner, just like everyone else. We're all sinners. I have Jesus, but I'm a sinner, even though I have Jesus. And then there are ones of us that are really wrestling with, why do I feel trapped? Why do I feel addicted, stuck in a rut in this bad cycle that never seems to end? And some of you might be sitting here tonight going, I'm okay. Why are you even bringing this up? And I'm sure if we were honest, probably all of these different thoughts about sin have happened at some time in our life or even in the course of one day. But I have often struggled with this. Why do I feel trapped? Why do I feel stuck in this rut? So in this passage, we're going to talk about a couple of questions raised and why these questions matter. So in verse, starting in 1, What shall we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And I'm going to say, no way, instead of by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This question matters because we are forgiven by grace. God forgives us and that really is enough. The law, the Jewish law, the Torah, it shows us what sin is. It is still important, yet it keeps on condemning. That was the rut that the Jews were stuck in. Like, yes, the Torah, so valuable, but it doesn't free us. Fulfillment of the law, the thing that really brought freedom is Jesus. 
Let's talk about baptism for a minute. So Paul is using the symbol of baptism here to talk about our new relationships. When we go into the water, and you've seen if you've seen a baptism, that's good, and there's baptisms here, so maybe you've seen one here. When we go into the water, it's our watery death. Sometimes people call it that. It is the picture of Christ's death, his crucifixion. And even though he was sinless, he still lived in a human body under the weight of temptation just like us. And I was with a group of people yesterday, and we were studying Luke 4, and that is the story of Jesus' temptation. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days fasting, and after that, he's hungry. And there's a tempter. There's the devil who is specifically pointing things out, trying to tempt Jesus, trying to get him to fail. But he didn't. He was still sinless. When Jesus died, he died to sin and temptation. When we die in baptism, we also die to sin. We die to what it means to be slaves to sin. When we come out of the water, hopefully we're not down too long, when we come out of the water, it is a picture of Christ's resurrection. We are alive in a new way. A life without slavery to sin. Jews and non-Jews in the church in Rome would be very familiar with slavery. There is slavery all around them, and probably in their community, there were people who either were slaves or used to be slaves, owned slaves or used to own slaves. So they had kind of that mix. But slavery is also a massive part of the history of the Jewish people. They were slaves in Egypt for around 500 years. And they experienced massive oppression. And if you remember the story of little baby Moses, even their babies were victims in a plot to control their population. They cried out to God, and God saved them. He totally saved them. And when God led them out of Egypt, he led them out of slavery for good. They never in their history again became slaves to Egypt. Our sins are nailed to the cross in the death of Jesus for good. It is a final thing. So when we experience Christ's resurrection power the, in the symbol of coming out of the water, we have abandoned the old way of life, the old way of sinning. So let's, we're going to go on to verse 5. For if we have been united with him, Jesus, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And this, this is my first point. I've already been talking about it. But our relationship to sin changes. We were slaves, but now slaves, slave, sin is no longer our master. We do not have to obey sin. We do not have to listen to temptation. And sin is no longer our identity. In Jesus, we have a new identity 
and a new relationship to sin. I chose this for the Soapbox series because this is something that I have been wrestling with on and off for, for a long, long time. I've been a Christian for a while, but a couple of months ago I was studying this passage and Bernie had asked me about the Soapbox series. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what issue I would want to talk about except this issue that's so personal and so much a part of my life. In my brain, I know it theoretically, like all the, the truth, the words, the, those kinds of things are in there. But in terms of the way I think, the way I speak, the way I act, I don't always do it as if I'm free from sin. And I do it in all different kinds of ways. If a master says to a slave, I want you to go over there, let's, and we need to buy all this stuff, and you're going to carry it all back, and it's the hottest part of the day, and I don't care because you're my slave. So just go and do it. The slave has no choice. They just have to say, all right, and they have to do it. But what if the slave is no longer a slave? What if the now former master says to the slave, I want you to go here, do this, say that, think this. What can the former slave say? The slave is, former slave is going to say, no, you're not the boss of me. And I realized that I could say that to the things that I struggled with. When it came to judging, I could say, no judgment. You're not the boss of me. I could say to lies that I had believing, insecurities that I have, I could say, no, you're not the boss of me. I don't have to live out those things. I could say that about lust and greed. I could say that about selfishness. When I want to live a self-centered life, I could say, no, you're not the boss of me. So there's a couple little, okay, big issues that crop up when we say this kind of thing. And one is that sometimes we forget that the old slave master is not the master anymore. And that's because we get familiar with the voice. We get familiar with the voices that tell us we need to do this. Sometimes the voices are inside and sometimes the voices are outside of us. The people around us, propaganda, media, whatever you want to say, culture. And those voices get so familiar that we just get in the habit of saying, yes, master, whatever you say, master, sure, I will do that again and again. And that forgetting is an issue. The second one is that we live in our bodies. So in baptism we died in a spiritual sense. Jesus really died, and we will also really die, but that hasn't happened yet. And baptism is just showing that spiritual reality. Our bodies are still fallen. We've got the spiritual genetics of everyone else. We're all in this system. But it's very helpful to remember that we actually weren't designed this way originally. God originally designed us to live without sin, to live without disease, and to live without death. That's not something that he thought, this is the way I'm going to make things. But since we're all now in the system of death, we all 
want to, our bodies want to sin. So we have to learn to listen, when to listen to our bodies, and when to say no to our bodies. My daughter is four, and you teach, people have to be taught how to use the toilet. And we talk to her about listening to your body. So when your body says, it's time to go potty, what are you supposed to do? You run to the toilet and use it. Well, for, in her case, you run. And sometimes it's really hard to listen to your body when it's telling you to do those kinds of good things. So for her, she's really good at listening to her bodies. But every once in a while, she will be doing something so fun, like jumping on a trampoline, that when her body says, it's time to go to the potty, no, this is so much fun. I just have to keep jumping. And sometimes there's pee on the trampoline. And I have to say, to be perfectly honest, this probably runs in our family because only a couple years ago, I was jumping on a bouncy castle and I didn't listen to my body and there was pee on the bouncy castle. Because we get so wrapped up into what is fun or what is entertaining to us that we just can tune out the really good things that our body, our bodies are saying. My daughter also listens to her bodies in other ways. And she comes up to me very frequently and says, Mama, excuse me, Mama, my body is telling me something. My body is telling me that I need a treat. And I think that it's a cupcake. And our bodies tell us all kinds of stuff. And treats are not always bad. We can't live off of treats. But our bodies are just always speaking to us, always telling us these things. And I think that also runs in our family because I like treats. But it's very important to distinguish because our bodies, though we have this sin system that we are a part of, our bodies are also good and a gift from God. That, that we can actually take care of him. And the way he designed us so that we could listen to our bodies is so we could be good stewards. So when our bodies say, it's time for bed, then we can actually go and rest and take care of our bodies. Or it's time to eat good, healthy food or turn on the heat pump. We can do that so we can take care of ourselves. Learning to say no to our bodies is a major part of what it means to not be a slave anymore. When you're not a slave, you have the ability and the power to say no. When my body says, it's time to lie to yourself and say, oh, that's not a big deal, I have the ability to be honest and not listen to that lie and say, actually, that is a big deal. When my body is saying, or my mind is saying, it's time to show that you're upset and to say something really or yell something very hurtful to your husband, I can say, no, you're not the boss of me. And I'm going to say that to myself because saying that to my husband actually would be the mean thing. Saying, no, you're not the boss of me. 
But learning that, saying these emotions, they don't have to control me. So now sin is not the master. Sin is not the boss. And that leads us to the next question in Romans 6. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So now that slave, sin, now that sin is no longer our master, we are free to choose a new master, which is righteousness. But isn't slavery a bad thing? Like, why, why would I want to keep being a slave? Why do I have to choose a new master? Why do I have to do that? Well, unfortunately, there is no middle ground. There isn't this magical place where people are free from any master. And I know people who say, very honestly, I'm the master of myself. But what they're really saying is, I'm choosing sin to be my master. Because none of us can be the master of ourselves. And I don't have a slide for this, but I wanted to read what the message version says. This is the NIV. But the message version says, since we're free in the freedom of God, can we just do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience there are some acts of so-called freedom that actually destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. And then later it says, you can readily recall, can't you, how at one time, the more you just did what you felt like doing, not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had. As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. But do you really call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing that you're proud of now. And where did it get you? A dead end. So if we have to choose a new master, why not choose a master who is loving and giving? What if the more that we listen to our new master, the more freedom we actually have? The truth is we're not good bosses of ourselves. We constantly change our minds. Our emotions can be all over the place. We are self-deceptive. And at times, we can have total lack of self-awareness. That happens to me frequently. The best master is full of truth and only truth and never deceives. The best master is constant and consistent. 
The best master genuinely loves and does not stop loving. The best master knows us better than we even know ourselves. The best master knows what true freedom is and offers it to us. And the best master makes a way for us to live the life that he designed us to live, even though we're really good at messing things up. If we are no longer slaves to sin and now slaves to righteousness, we need to accept and live out that new identity. And that new identity is that we get to be like Jesus. He is the resurrected Jesus, and our baptism is a sign of that resurrection, that we get to live in that resurrection power. We're not still in the grave. We're not still in the water. We're walking around, living, breathing, and it's in a new way. Our old excuses won't work anymore. That thing of saying, this is just how I am. This is just my personality. This is me, take it or leave it. That doesn't work anymore. I am alive in a new kind of way. In this section of scripture, and it's in verse 2 is where it starts, the word in the Greek for died is in the past tense only, apothenesco. It's not in the present tense. It's not we are dying to sin. It's not in the imperfect tense that we died and are continuing to die. And it's not in the future tense that one day in the future we will be dead to sin. It's only in the past, in this whole passage, we died. Now you can live with the truth that you have an entirely different relationship to sin. That you are a different person and you have a new master. This resurrection kind of way of living starts right now. Not sometime in the future. Not when I have more time, more stability. Not when I get my career going, or marriage, or family, or I retire. Or the thing that I tell myself, when I'm more disciplined. Nope, that, it starts now. Even when I'm not so disciplined, it starts now. The resurrected way of life means growing in the likeness of Jesus. And often we call this holiness in the church. But it's, holiness sounds like something that's inaccessible. Really it means looking, acting like Jesus. And this power to change does not come from ourselves. Just like the power to be raised from the dead doesn't come from ourselves. So if we actually died, there's nothing in us, we would be totally dead. We couldn't say, I want to be alive again. That wouldn't happen. And that's how it is with living in resurrected power. You can't just do it for yourself. Only God can give us the power to be like Jesus. And in one of the things I read, it said, simply deciding to sin is not enough. For self-righteousness grows in the soil of immorality and injustice. And this is the thing that the Jews in the Roman church were really struggling with because they had the law 
and they were betting everything on the law to make them righteous. And it just never could. They needed Jesus. And this is something that happens when people are in the church for a long time as well. We think, I know the rules, and I know how to make them work for me. But that is self-righteousness. It's the same kind of system as immorality and injustice. So that was point two, which is growing in holiness or simply becoming like Jesus is something God does in us. We are totally dependent on God for our holiness. And this is a benefit of what it means to be a slave of righteousness. The last couple of verses in this section But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. And this is such a familiar passage. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life is a gift for now and forever. And usually when I think, when I hear about eternal life, it's this thing that you hear about, like, oh, this person has entered into eternal life when they die. But the reality is eternal life starts right now, that we live in this eternal life now. It's not some sort of distant future. And we can say to death, Because death will come, but in Scripture it says, like, oh, death, where is your sting? And I'd like to say, oh, death, you're not the boss of me. And that's a really hard thing to do when you know people who are struggling with chronic illness or someone who has cancer, or maybe you just have that fear yourself, like, I could die in a car accident today or something like that. But to not live in that fear to say, I have eternal life that has started now. I told you the story about how I got trapped in the bathroom and all of the, just the crazy like sweating and feeling so nervous and feeling like, how in the heck am I gonna get out of here? How am I gonna escape my prison of the bathroom? And my mind was racing and thankfully it did not race too long before I remembered I had my cell phone in my pocket And I quickly grabbed it, and I called my mom and told her what happened. I could hear laughter on the other side. But only a few seconds later, I heard footsteps and someone was working a screwdriver to unlock the door. And I was rescued. I was saved from the bathroom. I was so happy. When we are trapped, whether it be a bathroom or some sin or some way of thinking, or some way of speaking and we just can't get out of it, we cannot rescue ourselves. We just can't. But we can call out for help. We can ask for help. We can ask to be rescued and we can choose to live in freedom. When they opened the bathroom door, I didn't stay in the bathroom pretending like I'm stuck here forever. No, I left. I got out of there. I didn't want to be in there anymore. And perhaps you are here tonight and you feel trapped. 
And maybe you really are. Maybe sin actually still is your master. And you don't see any way out. Or maybe you actually don't care if you have a new master and you feel fine about that. No one is pressuring you. That's not the way this works. Because as we can see here, eternal life is a gift. So it's not a gift that's shoved on you. It's a gift if it's received. And perhaps you are here and you are struggling. You know Jesus and you still feel stuck. You feel like, will this cycle ever end? Take a moment and consider, who is my master? Really, who is my master? Am I trying to make myself my master? Who is my master? For the Jews and the non-Jews in Rome, that's really what it boiled down to. Because only their new master could free them from the cycle of sin. Because sin destroys the church. Sin destroys relationships, and sin destroys unity. And only the new master can bring about unity, can bring about that kind of reconciliation, can bring about that real freedom. When I was at my Bible college, we used to sing this hymn, this old hymn, and there are several verses, but one of the verses I felt like every person sang it with more gusto, with more passion. I think it was actually more desperation. And the words go, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And this song, these lines are taken from a song called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And the guy that wrote it, Robert, Robins, Rob, Robert Robinson, he wrote it in 1757, and he was 22 years old. Eventually, he like, had 12 kids and became a Baptist minister. But when he was 22, he wrote these lines, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And it doesn't matter if you are 22 or 52 or 82. We are all prone to wander. We all are living in our bodies that want to wander. But we have to cling to our new master. And it doesn't matter how long you've been clinging. You continue to cling. You continue to remember. So how do we cling? I am a person that wants things to be practical. And yeah, I want to know how can I continue to walk in the freedom that God has given us. And so here's three really practical ways, and they are nothing new, but we have to do these things. The first is participating in the vulnerability of community. It doesn't mean just showing up, being a warm body on a seat. It means being vulnerable and being in real relationship with others. The second one is participating in the truth of Scripture. Not just reading the words, not just skimming them, 
but letting them soak in, meditating, meditating upon the truth in such a way where you begin to breathe it and live it out. And the third is participating in the honesty of prayer. Not just saying the words, not just trying to get to amen as fast as you can, but letting honesty bubble up from a deep place of surrender. Not a pretty prayer, an honest prayer. I chose this as my soapbox, me soapbox message because I have to hear this and I have to live it out. And I don't want to go any longer listening to my former master. I want to cling to my new master. There are some people here, if you would like some prayer, someone to talk to, you don't have to do that, but it's, it's open for you. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that we can cling to you. I thank you that you are our new master, that we don't have to be the masters ourselves, because that doesn't work, but you get to be our new master. Thank you for your freedom. Thank you for your sacrifice. You are so generous and so amazing. Amen.